Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and Janice. Um, <laughs> welcome to the planning meeting. Um, it's two o'clock, the 30th. Um, apologies and declarations. Okay, and uh, Councillor Gerard is standing in for him today. Okay. Any declarations of interest? Councillor Freeman, yes. Saffron Warden Town Council member of. Fine, thank you. No others? Okay. Uh, minutes for the last meeting. Can I sign those off as a true record, please? Thank you, Councillor Chambers. I should just do that. Thank you. A um, couple of points of order just before we start. It's a public meeting. It's recorded meeting. Please ensure that all your mobile phones are turned off. If everybody checks that. We have no planned fire alarms today, so if there is a fire alarm, it will be genuine. In that case, please proceed outside the doors and we will meet on the grass in front of the building. Okay, no other business. In that case, we will start with application UTT 171452 for the land north of Bartholomew Close in Great Chesterford. And I have Councillor Redfern to speak. Oh, sorry, that would be after the officer. I don't usually take that long anyway. Got you again then, didn't I? <coughs> I'm going to hand this over to Luke Mills for the presentation. Thank you, Chairman. You're welcome. Okay, so the site is located off Rookery Close, Great Chesterford, and comprises an undeveloped parcel of land bordered by trees and hedgerows. The application is for approval uh, of the reserve matter of access only, following a grant of outline planning permission for a residential development of up to 14 dwellings. The proposal includes a new vehicular access at the end of Rookery Close, which is here, and a cycle link off Stanley Close to the northeast of the site, here. Please note that the site plan only provides an indicative layout for the development this matter being reserved for consideration under a separate application in future. In September 2016, an application for the approval of all reserve matters was refused due to concerns regarding highway safety and the amenity of existing and future residents. In dismissing the appeal on amenity grounds only, the inspector concluded that there were no highway safety grounds for refusal. As set out in my report, all relevant planning policies and material considerations have been considered and it is recommended that planning permission be granted. Thank you very much, Luke. Okay, uh, Councillor Redfern. You have five minutes. Thank you, um, Chairman. I'm actually here on behalf of Great Chesterford Parish Council. Um, and as most committee members here know, we have a long history with this site and uh, both with the 
with the site, the planning officers and this committee. Um, we've tried very hard to have a joined up application for both Littlefield and for the field that was in Stanley Road. Sadly, for whatever reasons, the landowners on both sides have failed to come together. Um, Stanley Road has since um, been fully developed and is occupied, so the moment for that has actually passed. Um, we are now left with Littlefield, and we accept this, this has outlined permission for um, up to 14 dwellings, though we um, still can't believe it was 14, but there we go. Um, <clears throat> the Parish Council has a problem with being asked to agree and access in isolation. This is how we got here in the first place, by looking at areas in isolation. We have serious concerns about the road to this area, which is always congested. And as, as you will probably have seen from various photographs that have been sent to you, I assume you haven't done a site visit today for something like this, but um, you certainly would have had photographs from one of the residents. Um, for us, the next application for this site should be a complete plan that deals with the density, the layout, the parking, construction traffic, and important, most importantly, um, a safe access. This site could come forward with a lower density, room for large vehicles to manoeuvre, foot and cycle paths to help with access to the village and the village amenities. It could be something that we would, would be of benefit to the new residents and the existing residents. Instead, we have piecemeal biting off bits and pieces of the planning in chunks that in the end we will be left with very little we can do to influence the site. For these reasons, we ask that this, this be refused and that the applicants come forward with a full and detailed plan with the lower density than previous applications and to include the various accesses, something that we would happily work with them um, to bring forward a complete plan that we actually knew what we were getting rather than bits and pieces. Um, so that is it on behalf of the Parish Council. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Redfern. Um, I would point out for members that weren't aware, we have done a site visit to this location before. Um, we didn't do one this morning, but uh, I think most members have been to the site before. Right. Uh, we have no other speakers. No public speakers? Oh, we have. Sorry. We'll have to redo the way we do this list. Uh, could I have Victoria Chat, if I pronounced that right? Chote? Sorry, Victoria. Uh, you have three minutes, Victoria. Good afternoon. My name is Victoria Choate and I object to this application. In their most recent reply, Essex Highways attached conditions to their approval of the access, yet in his report, two of those conditions are dismissed by Luke Mills. Why? Surely without all conditions, the proposal is not acceptable to Essex Highways. Trees will have to be felled to allow access through Rookery Close, yet a current tree survey has not been submitted. In his report, Luke Mill says, and I quote, the trees in question are not considered of sufficient value to warrant a TPO. A TPO is a separate matter. This is a major application, independent of the last, in which trees will be felled to allow access. So why are, we why are we redirected to last year's report, which is considered inaccurate and now out of date? The contents of an FOI request confirm that a tempo form has not been completed to, to assess the trees. No notes were taken during an officer's visit, and a discrepancy is also revealed as to the date the visit took place. 
It is now almost four years, yes, four years since a walkover ecology survey was carried out. Since then, the neighbouring Bellway site has been built, with wildlife migrating into Littlefield. The recommendations of the survey are still not adhered to, with the field last mown on 4th of October 2015. Last year, Clive Theobald apologised to the committee for failing to see that the applicant's biodiversity questionnaire had been incorrectly completed, avoiding the need for an ecology survey and offered a deferral to the committee. The applicant's current transport statement, poorly copied and pasted, is still the only assessment of the proposed route, still getting road names wrong and still undercounting houses. In defending the recent appeal and in relation to a previous statement, UDC say the assessments are carried out in ideal circumstances and do not reflect the reality on the ground. Littlefield was never included in the last local plan as a standalone site. Access is below standards, always has been, always will be. Week on week, I photographed HGVs and other vehicles mounting the pavement to pass parked cars. At just over 4.72 metres wide, access through Rookery Close is wrong. It is so wrong and an accident waiting to happen. Any, any restrictions to facilitate construction will only uphold this view. This application is based on the comments of the planning inspector. It's not about affordable housing, it's about profit. Given its history, its numerous erroneous submissions, a deferral, a refusal, no current tree survey, continued lack of ecology reports, and with no site visit for the new committee members, access should not be considered in isolation. Please refuse this, this application. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Andrew Leclerc. You also have three minutes. Does that mean this is still on? Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, I hope you all received my email. I suspect you haven't had a chance to read it, though. It's um, rather lengthy. Um, I'll be brief, and I have more questions than answers, I'm afraid. The applicants have claimed since prior to last year's refused um, predecessor to this application went to committee that they are in possession of tracking or swept path diagrams that it is claimed prove the suitability of the access. In June, I asked Mr Mills about these, and he said he hadn't seen them. I asked or suggested that perhaps he obtained them. We haven't seen them still. Where are they? Um, do they demonstrate that the four-axle dust cart can get into the site if a car is parked at the gate? What I have managed to do is run a simulation for a three-axle dust cart. If you read my email, you'll see that it can get in with a parked car with a whisker to spare. And that is what the inspector means when he says that with careful driving, the access is okay. But it is preposterously careful. Um, yeah, what do waste services say about the driving that's expected of them? Because I just, it, they're going to mount the pavements in, in reality. The theoretical planning system that the inspector inhabits isn't what the real world is like. Um, I object to access being considered in isolation today. There are trees being felled that haven't been properly assessed. I've done a tempo form for these trees. They merit a TPO. Merit one. One of them merits one automatically. One can be defended if you put a TPO on it. And yet they're being condemned. 
your landscape officer has not properly assessed them. What else have we got here? Oh, why are high-risk conditions being ignored? Is it because it might cost the applicants some money? This be answered me more. Um, why are there no construction conditions? Saturday working surely isn't feasible. The amount of parked cars you'll have early in the morning will make access very difficult for construction traffic. Uh, Mr Leclerc, we, we have to address the application we've got in front of us. Construction and things like that will come later in further detail with further applications. Okay. Um, I hope I'm not misinterpreting the views of the planning committee last year, but I feel there was widespread agreement, even from members who did not vote for the refusal, that there is a clear problem with this proposed access in the real world. Ideas were put forward that it was felt may be the solution. None form part of this application today. I'm sure we're all aware of situations where an inch or two more would have made all the difference. When is enough enough? Where should the line be drawn? Should be, you be minded to refuse this application, then I'm sure we'll see the applicants appeal again. Will a different planning inspector take a different view? Is it fair to ask residents to put the bill? Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Philip Kratz. Thank you, Mr Chairman and members. Um, as has already been explained, uh, this is a proposal Keynotes. being put forward by um, one of the most respected names from the, the social housing world. Um, the scheme itself, and it's important to emphasise this, is not before you for planning permission. It already has planning permission. And an application for approval of reserve matters is not a planning application giving rise to planning permission. This is very straightforward. The County Council Highways Officer was clear last time, but has been reiterated, and just in case any um, doubts are cast on the professionalism of the Highways Officer, they've been to site, I know, because I saw them on site, and, and they've confirmed that from a highways and transportation perspective, there is no adverse impact from this scheme, and that is the advice to you from the Highway Authority. Um, likewise, the inspector who determined last year's, um, uh, sorry, earlier this year's appeal came to the, his conclusion simply on grounds of amenity, and it was to do with the length of two of the back gardens. But so far as the highway's access was concerned, he said that, and I'm quoting from him, overall I find that this aspect of the proposed development would not have a material adverse impact on the safety of any other road users, including pedestrians and cyclists, and thus would not compromise the safety and convenience of users of the adjacent highway network. Therefore, in this regard, the proposed development would accord in all respects with safety policies of the local plan which seeks to ensure new development is served by a safe access. Um, the reason why the access was separated out was to make things easier. It was abundantly plain that there was no technical or other problem with the access from every professional perspective. Um, that is brought before you for the approval of that aspect so that the work on the design can be finalised and for what it's worth um, the Prospective layout is shown ghosted on the scheme, which is a scheme for 11 dwellings. That's in the context of a planning permission for up to 14. 
What the applicant quite reasonably wants now is to remove any uncertainty that the access uh, is acceptable and it uh, seems to the applicant and indeed to me that there's no rational ground for coming to any other conclusion. Um, it may well be that your planning case officer, um, the planning inspector, the highways officer, the landscape officer, the trees officer, the biodiversity officer and Uncle Tom Cobley are all wrong and that there's only two people left in step, but we come, have come to the conclusion that on all rational bases, there, um, your professional officers have objectively assessed this, it has been scrutinised, it's been put to the test, and it's been found to be completely acceptable. What the applicant would like, therefore, is just that bit of certainty, and then the rest of it can be finished. Um, thank you very much, Mr Chairman. Uh, thank you, Mr. Kratz. Um, we have no other speakers, so I'm going to throw this open to the committee and start with Councillor Freeman. Yeah, thank you, Chairman. Just a point of clarification, please. Uh, this site has planning consent. That's a done deal. It appears we're only considering the access to the site off, um, uh, what is it, Rookery, Rookery Close, yeah. Um, can you just confirm to us what we can deal with at this meeting? Because it's very tempting to go and attempt to deal with other things. Um, I'll ask Mr Brown just to clarify that. It is just the access. Um, you know, all the other matters in terms of reserve matters will be covered at a later date. Um, it has got outline planning permission with all matters reserved. All this is doing is assessing the access to the site. If I, if I can, Chairman, when they say covered at a later date, in my experience that usually means covered by officers at a later date. This application has been called into committee by the local member, one of the two local members, and um, not prejudging that, but I would think it would be quite likely that the later ones will also be called in. But uh, it will go through the normal system and it will find its way here, I'm sure. Can I just say, um, <clears throat> actually it's not here because of a call-in, it's because of its size. So in Great Chesterford, anything more than five dwellings has to be decided by planning committee. So those later matters, which are layout, scale, um, appearance and landscaping, um, they will all have to be put forward and committee will get the opportunity to decide on those matters. Okay, uh, Councillor Chambers, I'll come back to you. Mr Chairman, uh, um, we've, we've been sitting here discussing this for quite some time. Now, I listened to the objections to it, and I obviously listened to the, the applicant's agent. Two things haven't been mentioned here, I don't think. One is protection of the public. Protection of the public should be of the most important thing. There's no point in having houses if you're going to have a dangerous access. Each time this has come before this committee we have said about the access. Each time we have either deferred it or refused it. There is nothing on here that I think should make us change our mind. Now the other thing, very important, that should come into it, there's Essex Highways, there's Transport England, there's all these so-called experts. We need a little bit of common sense Anybody that knows that site, and I know that site well, would know that Mr. Leclerc, Mr. Leclerc's photographs 
which I don't know where he's sitting, but uh, I, I did notice them, and I did look at them this morning. If you think a refuse vehicle is going to go up there with half an inch to spare either side, which is basically what it is, and not cause some damage, then there are very few people in the country who can actually drive a vehicle and get past in such a thing. That's just one aspect of it. With the amount of cars there are now everywhere, getting more and more, which, fair enough, I'm not disputing that, and I'm not grumbling about it, but if you're going to have building like that, you have got to have a good access. I don't care what the experts have said, I can't see any reason why that should be approved now when it was refused last time. And I will propose... uh, Refusal again, Mr Chairman. I'm going to take some more comments before we come to that point, but I will come back to you at the right time. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, I don't know if um, Councillor Chambers missed this, but if you look at um, 6.2, it says um, the subsequent appeal was dismissed on the basis that the layout would have harmed the living conditions of the occupants of the proposed development. The inspector concluded that there will be no harm in terms of highway safety. And then if you go to see, and I don't know if you read this as well, Highway Authority Essex County Council, no objections subject to conditions and then when we go to page 13 we see those conditions and I believe that is the reason that this has been approved because everything the inspector said and the highways have said have been now have been addressed and I would be on those that basis I'll be very happy to propose approval Uh, right further comment councillor Hicks like to support Councillor Loughlin, I, I agree with her comments and um, I would support this too. Okay, I'll come back to you. If uh, you want a second there, I'm willing to Okay, I'll t- I've noted that. Um, Councillor Lodge. Um, thank you, Chair. Uh, I'm inclined to, uh, to agree with, uh, with Councillor Chambers and just going, going back to the points that uh, Councillor Loughlin has mentioned. Um, Highways Authority in 9.1 say no objections subject to conditions. Uh, I've looked at that, their letter on the, uh, on the planning site and there, there's very little substance in that. And if you then do look at page 13 with the, uh, with the conditions, there's, there's remarkably little substance there. I, would, I, I really have a question in that are there, are there real conditions uh, that have been sent from Essex Highways which address the safety of the access here? If so, I have really missed them and perhaps you could point them out. Uh, Whilst I'm speaking, just a supplementary issue then, and that is on the situation of the trees and trees which would have to be felled. Firstly, is that something we can look at or will that come for later reserve matters? Uh, It does appear that the proper process hasn't been followed with regard to possible TPOs on the site, so I would just like a a full explanation of the situation on TPOs if it is appropriate at this meeting and what the conclusion was. Uh, Mr Brown or Luke. Okay. Um, If I take the second topic first, uh, so that was on the trees. So 
I mean, there have been opportunities, certainly at outline stage as well, when first looking at the site and whether um, development of that was acceptable, to assess the trees on the site and whether any of those, so there are none with tree preservation orders, um, but also to look to assess whether any were worthy of putting a tree preservation order on. It was decided that that wasn't necessary. Now getting to this stage as well, I mean, it's unfortunate I don't have any formal comments from our landscape officer, although we have discussed it and have agreed that the, there's two, there's a couple of trees just at the access here, at the proposed access, which would require removal, um, but he's happy, nothing's changed, there's, there's nothing that warrants a TPO. Um, <coughs> hold on. Um, so that's the position with the trees, and then any further landscaping that might be deemed appropriate to, to put into the development, that would be addressed at a later stage when the reserve mass of landscaping is addressed. Um, on your other point, it was about the... I, I wasn't entirely certain what the question was. You, you, you asked whether they were real conditions or something like they... Council they well, what, if I was, what if Highways Essex actually said? There's an incredibly small amount. Considering the amount of concern from residents through to the ward councillor, um, enormous number of concerns, real issues of safety. We've had nothing of substance from Essex that we, could, that we can look at. Unless you can point it out to me. And I've gone through the basic planning application as well as the papers for this meeting. Um, well, what you've seen is, is all we have. So that letter that you said that you've read that was the consultation response from Essex County Council, that is the substance of their response. Um, of course, it's worth just reminding members that it agreed nothing, I suppose, in this sense, in, the act, in, in terms of access, nothing's changed since the last time you considered this. However, there has been a sequence of events that Councillor Lockman pointed out that's um, described in the report where a, re a recent or a, an earlier application did go to appeal because it was refused by the committee. Um, the appeal was dismissed but only on immunity grounds and on transport impacts, the inspector found it was okay. So, and then again, highway, the Highway Authority have had a look, to look again at this one and they've reiterated that they're happy with it. So, I mean, that's all the advice you're getting from the Highway Authority on two occasions and also from the Planning Inspector who dealt with that previous appeal. Um, ultimately, it is up to you to, to make your decision. Uh, just just to, to, to finalise the trees, we have, we have, a, we have a, a tree officer here, Mr Smeden. He still works for us, I presume. Um, why are we missing that? I'm sorry, but um, this, this, this all is a, bit, is a bit smelly to me, really. Um, we, we have a lot of good opinion. Why don't we have that opinion? And just sort of uh, come, coming away from my questions now, but to, to give some further comments, I actually find it extremely smelly that, uh, despite what Mr. Kratz says, that we're coming along here to look at one aspect of a complex application. I'm sure every, every, everybody uh, would know whether they're planning for buildings, whether they're planning to run an organisation of any sort, it's best to look at everything when you plan. Don't come along and just pick at little bits. There's something very strange about this application and I will certainly support uh, Councillor Chambers in saying that this is, we, we, we're not ready to give permission uh, on this application at this time. Okay, um, I'm going to ask Mr Brown just to clarify a few points here. 
First of all, I, I do think the terms something smells smelly is yes. completely inappropriate in yes. the scope application. So completely inappropriate whatsoever, both in terms of the professionalism <laughs> of my officers and I would suggest the professionalism of the agent himself. There is nothing smelly about this. this Sorry, is, I, I, no, must, hang I on. must apologise for that termination. Yeah. Can, so just... can I just say, it seems a bit, it seems a bit strange yeah. to well, me. I will absolutely yeah. withdraw yeah. smelly. Can I also say, it is absolutely thoroughly appropriate for an application to have a reserve matters for access only. What is, there is something different about this application, and I think the agent, will, the agent hasn't been involved in this throughout the whole application, but it was the, the strange thing and the different way in which this application was being approached is that we originally had an outline planning permission with all matters reserved. Mm. We very, very rarely have that. In fact, this is the only occasion I've ever had an application where we had a reserve and an outline application with the access, with the access not committed. Uh, but we had it, and I remember we had a very – this was not this, – this is the previous committee – we had a, a very difficult discussion in trying to explain what was the point of the application in the first place, because I don't think anyone has an issue about the development itself having a suitable for residential development. That is why we now have an application for reserve matters for just access because normally we would have had an application for outline permission with access committed. And I'm, and I'm trying to remember the agenda going forward, but I'm sure we may have one of those later on where just, just the access is committed. We have got one. The very next case, I think, was one where just access is committed. But I think the reason why we have a reserve matters for access only is because we have a, a reserve, an outline with all matters reserved. But can I also say, from the highways viewpoint, the highways, just because we have a couple or a number of people objecting to the proposal doesn't necessarily suddenly make this a very dangerous access. But what it does mean is that the Highway Authority have looked at it. They have added a condition that probably I'm probably slightly uncomfortable with, that is they've actually taken on construction traffic as one of those requirements, and that doesn't necessarily sit normally. But that simply goes a little bit more than what we normally do. Um, in terms of construction traffic. I can understand if we have a developer and if it is this particular developer, we would have a, we would have a working relationship with that developer as we're going on, so that condition possibly is not going to be necessary. But the, applicant, the Highway Authority have assessed this proposal in a professional way, and that, just like they did before, and in terms of defending the appeal, a planning inspector has said that this access is wholly acceptable. If this proposal is refused for highway grounds, it will be, it will be allowed and we will have costs awarded against us, and quite rightly so, because that would be completely unacceptable behaviour by a local planning authority to suddenly come back and refuse something for highway refusal reasons. Okay. Uh, Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, I think... Uh, Mr. Brown has actually said exactly what I wanted to say. The planning inspector, if this committee refuses this application, and the only thing that you can uh, refuse it on is access, because that's what we're here for, not access highways, is that's what we're here for. You will look exceedingly ridiculous. You will actually make it impossible for an officer to defend that, because there is no grounds to defend it. The, there are no access or highways issues that are contentious on this application. And uh, you, are, I think if you do that, um, well, I wouldn't support it. I don't, can't imagine that any member of this committee uh, who has been here any time would think that was a sensible thing to do. It just would be thrown out immediately. And as Mr. Brown said, 
uh, it would cost this council a lot of money in costs because the inspector would see it as a time waster and it just would be thrown out and uh, I think it would be entirely the wrong thing to do and it would send really bad messages about this committee. Okay. Anybody else to comment? Mr Chambers, Councillor Chambers. If I may come back, sir. You may. Um, I hear what Mr Brown is saying, and I certainly have, I have no problem with the officers putting forward in their professional opinion what they think is right. Now, I'm going to have just a slight tangent now, and you'll have to bear with me just for one minute. The one thing I chair on this council now is licensing and environmental health. With regard to licensing, I know Janice is not like this, but with regard to licensing, the most important thing is protection of the public. Now, anything that we do on this council should include protection to the public. I can understand why the officers, because they have been given professional advice and are readily accept that on what those so-called professionals think is right. But those so-called professionals do not live in Great Chesterford. They are not going to have an access like this. It's not a few people in Chesterford that don't like it. It is, I believe, and this I stand to be corrected, the majority of people in Chesterford who do not want it. And if it means to say that at the end of the day, if we refuse this, then we have to pay costs, then I think I would write to the inspector and say, if an accident happens, sir, more madam, perhaps you would like to pay the costs and have it on your conscience as to whether it's there, because this is as bad as that. I so propose refusal, Mr Chairman. Councillor Lodge. Thank you. I didn't really get a response on why we hadn't had a proper tree consideration. No, point taken. That um, was on the, sorry, that was on the issue of, that was part of the professional officers that uh, we were in the process of dismissing their professionalism. The tree officer has assessed this, and I think I would say, suggest these two trees have probably been assessed more times than any trees have been suggested, because every single application, the tree issues have been assessed. Having said that, the trees aren't preserved. They could come down tomorrow, to be quite frank, and they're still there. So at the end of the day, and that is not an invitation to fail the trees, but the fact is that what it means is that the decision today doesn't change the fact regarding whether the trees could be preserved or not because they have been properly assessed. Councillor Gerard. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, I too have no problem in principle with the development itself, which has been granted planning permission. I do agree with Councillor Chambers uh, we have a similar situation in my ward of Newport with access problems which relate to public safety, in particular cars being parked on pavements, our own refuse vehicles being parked on pavements at angle, uh, you know, um, children's prams having to go out into the road to pass those vehicles, and certainly looking at the photographs that were sent through by Mr Leclerc, I don't know if members have seen them, but they're worth a look at because they clearly show our own vehicles parked on the pavement, blocking access not only for, for vehicles but for pedestrians. So personally, from, a, from a, just a decent human safety ground, I, I can't support the application. And I agree. I, I would second the uh, refusal. Uh, Councillor Hicks. 
Um, Chairman, I don't understand why you're permitting this continual discussion of trees when this is an application relating to access only. As far as I know, the <coughs> trees don't affect access, whether they're there or whether they're not. So um, I really think this argument uh, I, is specious and really it doesn't have any bearing on today's situation. I've allowed it because the trees are in the middle of the access, uh, and it's just really for the point of clarity. Uh, Councillor Wells. Right. Well, I'm not terribly au fait with the plot, but... The photographs clearly depict the situation that already exists on the roads that are there. So by denying access, we still have the problem of, of road safety because the photographs are on the roads that exist. We're talking about extending that road into a site that already has been given planning permission. And if we don't give access, where else can access be? There's nothing there that allows access at any other point other than Stanley Close, which I would presume will have the same problems that we're currently discussing in Rookery Close. So, as I said, the problems already exist. All we're doing is accessing another plot. So, I can't see any reason for refusing it. Okay. Uh, any other comments from the floor at this stage? Okay. In that case, I have a proposer in Councillor Lachlan. I have a seconder in Councillor Hicks. I'm going to take this to the vote. So, so can I, just as a matter of courtesy, I think I put my proposal forward first. Uh, you did, in fact. Um, well, he did, yes. He, he's, his uh, comment did come first. But I did held back on the second because I'm going to take it as it stands at the moment. And then from that, we'll decide where we go. Uh, so I have a proposal for approval. All of those in favour, please show. I have five. All of those against? One, two, three, four, five. In that case, going with what I said at the beginning, I will approve this application. Moving on to UTT 17114OP, land east of Green Hollow. Land east of Green Hollow. Lindsay, ready? Yeah. You can take us through the application, please. Thank you, Chairman. The next item on today's agenda is the site known Land East of Green Hollow, which is located on the corner of Ongar Road and Clapton Hall Lane, approximately 200 metres southwest of the development limits of the town of Great Dunmo. Set within the grounds of the site are a number of structures and buildings that are used in association with Actual Support Services Limited, which is a commercial cleaning contract company. The site is enclosed by mature vegetation located on the boundaries and the main vehicle access to the site is off Clapton Hall Lane here, although it should be noted as a secondary access onto Ongar Road. Okay. 
outline plan and permission is sought for the demolition of all the structures and buildings on the site and the construction of five residential dwelling houses with all matters reserved apart from access and layout. The sightings of the dwellings are arranged around an informal private driveway that utilises the main access. The applicant has indicated that the dwellings will be 1.5 to 2 storeys in height and these show the indicative plans of what the uh, potential dwellings may appear. In terms of the assessment of the application, officers consider that the benefits of the development, particularly that of supplying much needed housing within the district given the lack of a five year housing supply, utilising an existing brownfield site and that it constitutes a sustainable form of development, it is considered to outweigh the limited harm on the countryside. The proposed layout of the dwelling units is considered to be appropriate. Each dwelling unit would be provided with sufficient private amenity space and car parking. It would not result in detrimental harm to the nearby heritage assets, ecology or highway safety, and it would not result in excessive harm to adjoining neighbours. Officers consider the proposal to be acceptable under both national and local planning policies and therefore recommend the application for approval subject to the suggested conditions. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Um, we have one speaker, Councillor Terry Moore. Terry? You have three minutes. Mr Chairman, councillors, officers, good afternoon. Uh, I'm Councillor Terry Moore and I speak with the unanimous mandate of Great Dunmo Town Council. <coughs> Our first argument against this application is on the grounds of highway safety. Essex County Council's response to this consultation is not available on your website, but we know that the B184 uh, the road uh, classified as Onga Road on that diagram. Uh, it's a fast road and access from Clapton Hall Lane is adjacent to a double blind bend, a very narrow one uh, which currently carries a national speed limit. Residents have also objected on these grounds and we support them. However, our main reason for objecting is that the site is located outside the development area as defined in our neighbourhood plan. Policy DS1 TDA reflects the very strong local commitment to the rural setting of the town. We accept that development must take place in the district, but not at the cost of urban sprawl. We would remind the committee of the applications on land to the north and south of Onga Road. The inspector concluded that both were outside of the town's defined development limits. Indeed, it was stated that the former would result in a harsh urban feature detracting from the countryside setting. This district council refused planning permission on both citing their location outside the development limits as set out the 2005 local plan. The site at Hollow Green is further beyond those two Onga site developments, further beyond the town development limits and will push the boundary of the town beyond the A120 and further into the countryside. We acknowledge that the application has been scaled back from 13 dwellings and that it is currently a brownfield site, but the cessation of trading by the current enterprise should not automatically open it up for housing development. The existing low-level buildings are unobtrusive, 
This application, as we have seen, looks to replace them with large four-plus bedroom dwellings over two storeys, and we believe this would be more intrusive. The officer's report accompanying this application states that the site falls outside the development limits and is therefore located within the countryside where local plan policy S7 applies. This policy specifies that the countryside will be protected for its own sake and planning permission will only be given if there are special reasons why the development needs to be there. And we would ask, what are these special reasons? <coughs> Finally, Great Dunmo is immensely proud of its neighbourhood plan, supported in referendum by 93% of the voting residents and this district council. We wish to vigorously defend the town's development limits and indeed all the policies in our neighbourhood plan and therefore urge you to do the same by refusing permission. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Thank you, Mr Moore. Uh, we have no other speakers on this application, so I'm going to throw it open to the floor. Starting with Mr Gerard. Yeah, Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, yeah, I think really this is probably a test of you know, the first case of a neighbourhood plan being in effect and there being an application that contravenes or goes against that neighbourhood plan. If, if neighbourhood plans are there for a purpose, which they are, then surely as a matter of policy we need to consider the fact that if this application is contrary, then on a matter of simple neighbourhood plan policy, we cannot approve. Councillor Hicks. Uh, thank you, Chairman. Um, I think what the last speaker has overlooked is, first of all, it is outside uh, Dunmo's neighbourhood plan. It's not part of their remit. Uh, it's also outside um, the um, plan we have for, as Uttles for District Council, I believe. But what it is, is a brownfield site in the country. And um, I think... Uh, all uh, directives coming from the government on uh, that sort of situation is to take is the, brown, the fact of brownfield sites being brought to uh, a proper use instead of being allowed to go derelict as this one is um, they, um, carries the day and uh, I would suggest that um, this is something we should approve. Thank you Councillor Hicks. Uh, anybody else from the floor? No comments? Uh, Councillor Lodge. Thank you, Chair. I think that uh, I'm swayed by the fact that 93% of Councillor Hicks' constituents don't want it. That, uh, um, I, I do understand the Brantfield aspects of it, but I think that it, this might even be seen as a test case for neighbourhood plans, as my colleague uh, to my right has mentioned. So, uh, Quite difficult. I understand the Brownfield site, but on balance, I think the 93% have it. <clears throat> I'd just like to clarify, the 93% voted for the plan. They didn't necessarily vote on this application. So let's just make that very clear, shall we? Yeah. Okay. Anybody else from the floor? I think uh, yeah. Mr. Brown. I just think this is a, this is a quite a, some easier situation, to be honest, rather than a more complicated situation in terms of the fact that we have a neighbourhood plan with a bang-up-to-date neighbourhood plan with development limits, but we've also got the call for the redevelopment of uh, brownfield sites to be encouraged, as well as, quite clearly, not having a five-year land supply and it dropping as we speak. So, um, so just picking up Councillor Gerard's point that he made was, 
there, we should be refusing it. That's not necessary just because it's outside the development limit means we shouldn't just be refusing it unless there are particular reasons, and I think the way Councillor Hicks puts it is probably the way, but it is a judgmental issue for members. Um, I would strongly say that this is appropriate because is, we don't have many brownfield sites in this district, and, uh, and it is in good proximity to existing development, but that's where we are. So. <coughs> okay. Um, I'm going to have my two pennyworth. Um, firstly, to compliment uh, Dunmo Town Council on the neighbourhood plan. It's a brilliant document. One of the first ones out, but definitely yeah, a great document. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we can apply it in this instance, though. Uh, we do have limited brownfield sites. I think also the officers are to be, should we say, complimented on the fact that they brought this down from 13. I think 13 would have been a similar density to the other side, and therefore I would have agreed with perhaps an extension of the urban sort of conurbation that we had coming out of Dunmo, but I think uh, that the five as such are more in keeping with some of the other properties down on the road, and as such, uh, from my point of view, I think we have to approve. Uh, Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you. Um, this business of brownfield sites, there's two arguments. One is that a brownfield site that isn't being used should be built on immediately and covered in houses. That's one argument. The other argument is it would be excellent to actually use it for employment purposes. And, of course, that requires an employer to come along and use it for that purpose. And very clearly, this one is not being used for anything at the moment. But brownfield sites in towns, I can understand why you might want to build them then. But a brownfield site in the country, I submit, would be a valuable thing, not something to be turned into houses just because it happens to be a bit unloved. But that's just my opinion. I think just to clarify, Actual have been there probably for 30 or 40 years and it's still in operation as such. So it is an ongoing operation uh, and it has got a chequered planning history would be another way of putting this. Uh, this site's been all thing. The other thing that I think the officer didn't perhaps bring to, fr uh, to the front of everybody's mind is that they have approval for a very large industrial unit on the site which was approved 18 months ago which to my personal mind would be a much bigger eyesore than what we're talking about now. Um, anyway, I hope that clarifies it. Uh, Councillor Gerard. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Could I just ask for a point of clarification? Um, in terms of the access to this site off the main road, do we have an idea in terms of the distance coming off the main road at the top there to the access point? In terms of so, I, I, so you're referring to Onga Road down to the access? Well, Onga Road, which is the B184, yes. About 30 to 35 metres. So, in taking Dunmo Town Council's local opinion that it is, in their opinion, unsafe, even though highways seem to have the traditional sort of no comment, um, combining the issue of it being contrary to the neighbourhood plan and there possibly being an issue of public safety, surely that must outweigh the potential benefit of building on a brownfield site, which actually still could be an employment site. Uh, I'm going to take that one. Um, there's a number of vehicles, commercial vehicles, cranes, all sorts of things that are actually still operating out of there on a regular basis. I doubt whether there will be an increase in traffic due to this becoming five houses. I suspect, if anything, it will be less. Um, and as for access, there's another plus to this in as much as at the moment they have an existing access, I think, onto the B184, which is actually going to be closed. 
Um, I don't think they use it, but the fact is that it is going to disappear. Uh, and it is a dangerous bend, and I'm very happy for that to happen. But as far as I'm concerned, this is a very safe access. Um, for those of us that saw it this morning, I think we'll probably agree. Um, okay, anybody else to comment at this stage? Yes, Councillor Wells. I'm not commenting, but I'm just happy to propose the recommendation. I'm not sure whether okay. Councillor Hicks... No, that's OK. I'm happy to take your proposal. Councillor Hicks? Uh, yes, Chairman, I'm quite happy to propose that we uh, approve this. OK, I, I have a proposal and a seconder. Um, I'm going to go to the vote. All those in favour of this application, please show. Seven. Seven, four. Six, six, sorry. Okay. Councillor Davy, were you abstaining or are you? You're voting against. So I have six, four, and four against. Uh, that application is approved. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Um, we're moving on to UTT 171991, full application at West Winds. West Winds, Norman's Way, Stansted, and it's Luke Mills again to take us through the application. Luke. Thank you, Chairman. The site is located off Norman's Way in Stansted and contains a detached chalet bungalow and a portion of the grounds associated with Ormond House. The application is for planning permission to demolish the existing dwelling and erect five detached houses. A shared driveway would use the existing access point from Norman's Way. The proposed houses would have a chalet bungalow form with two bedrooms in the roof, roof space and a comparatively large ground floor living space. The designs are contemporary, although the general form and the external finishes of clay tiles, render and weatherboarding are familiar and traditional. This 3D image provides a perspective view from Norman's Way. And this image shows the appearance of the development from Almond House. As set out in my report, all relevant planning policies and material considerations have been considered and it is recommended that planning permission be granted. Uh, thank you very much, Luke. Uh, we have one speaker, which is the applicant. That's not the applicant, it's the agent. It's neither. Mr. Bishop, would you like to... Uh, I've got the wrong list. No, you've got the right list. You've got someone, you've got him first. Ah, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's all right, it's me looking at it. Mr. Woodcock, if you'd like to speak first. Sorry, Mr. Bishop. We're going to have to redo these forms. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to bang your hammer again, Mr. Chairman. Um, um, no, Mr. I, I save that for special occasions, Mr. Woodcock. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> nice to see you again. Um, and to you, sir. Uh, Mr Chairman and committee, committee members, I'm Ray Woodcock, an active member of Stansted Malfortic Community. I have no relationship with the applicant in any way. I'm a member of Stansted Malfortic Neighbourhood Development Plan Committee. One of our housing needs is for more, stroke, uh, more medium stroke small bungalows for residents of the village to downsize into. 
This application will help satisfy that need. A few weeks ago, I received a call from a lady, um, a six, an 86-year-old lady, a Mrs. Emma Kant, a resident of Norman's Court, a residential home for those of advanced years. She explained that the road surface of Norman's Way has many potholes and is dangerous. Um, she asked if I could help her get the road fixed. Some of the residents have fallen due to these potholes. During the last um, Stancid Malfitchett Parish Council meeting, the applicant um, of this planning application described his plan for the site and that he was prepared to resurface Norman's Way if the application was approved. Bearing in mind that the, um, there was a, I had another call um, from another gentleman, a Mr Dennis Wood of Crowsdale Road. Um, he is a, a mobility scooter driver and he uses Norman's Way and the footpath very, very frequently. Um, uh, he, he is very concerned that he might topple over uh, driving down uh, Norman's Way and the footpath. Um, bearing in mind that the applicant um, has expressed a wish to make Norman's Way safer by having it resurfaced, this will bring a real need, um, uh, a real benefit to Norman's Court residents. So many of them, such as Mrs Kant, who is 86 years old, um, wants to maintain their independence as much as possible by doing all that they can for themselves. Um, I have, um, I'm not sure what the, the procedure is, sir. Um, so if you would bear with me and the committee. Um, I have one additional request um, for the residents of Norman's Court. There is a footpath alongside the applicant's applicant's property which connects Norman's Way to High Lane. The surface of this is also very uneven and needs resurfacing. Norman's Court residents also use this path to get to Stance's surgery in Lower Street and likewise so does the gentleman um, in Crowsdale Road. I hope the committee will approve this application and consider two conditions that the applicant should fulfil for a one time only. They are that part of Norman's Way with many potholes is resurfaced. The second, the footpath from Norman's Way to High Lane is also resurfaced. Um, I'm very confident that the Norman's Way residents and others of our village would be extremely grateful. Thank you, sir. Thank you, committee. Thank you, Mr. Woodcock. Um, Mr. Bishop. You have three minutes, Mr. Bishop. Thank you very much. My apologies for the confusion. <laughs> um, the planning statement goes into great detail of what we have tried to achieve with this small development. If I may briefly outline our thinking, with recent experience of friends, we realise that Stansted lacks suitable housing to enable people of advancing years to downsize in number of bedrooms, smaller gardens, but to live in spacious to have spacious living areas, modern amenities and good storage space. Each unit has two double bedrooms with ensuite bath and large wardroom space. The living areas face south, overlooking private gardens. The ground floor rooms are generous, consideration has been given to accessibility and future adaptability, as well as easy fitting of a stairlift. 
In addition to, uti- to a utility room, there is ample storage provided as the garage are wide enough to actually open a car door. In my recent experience of my parents in their 90s, we believe that this design offers the opportunity to downsize and have the potential of remaining in their homes for longer periods before needing going, before needing going into care. The subject of Norman's Way. Of the few letters sent to object to this application, Norman's Way has been the main issue raised. In the main, it is not the suitability of the road, but its condition. Unfortunately, this application has highlighted the ongoing issue with local residents trying to get the top one-third resurfaced and the overgrown verges cut back. The recent closure of the doctor's surgery, whilst now not having a vehicle access onto Norman's Way, has been the cause of much of the damage to that part of the road. Two-thirds that I believe to be under Uttlesford ownership is well maintained apart from the verges which are very overgrown. There are seven parking spaces, rarely more than three cars parked there, at the bottom of the road adjacent to West Winds and a large turning area. Norman's Way was made over to Saffron Walden District Council on the 15th of November 1946 by Bella Norman to enable the council to build 20 prefabs. I know this well as my parents were rehoused in 1947 to number 20, and I lived with my parents there until 1966. I married the girl next door, and my wife and I built West Winds in 1966, obtaining a license to use Norman's Way for a fee of £15 per year. In April 1979, the then owner of West Winds purchased a right-of-way title number EX910937, which includes connection to any mains, pipes, cables, drains, for the purpose of the supply of water, gas, electricity and drainage. I raise these points to demonstrate that the issue raised are not new issues, but perhaps more important to illustrate that Norman's Way has, in my opinion and experience, less traffic using it now than it did when 20 preframs dwellings were located on that road. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you very much, Mr Bishop. Um, we have no other speakers, so I'm going to throw it open to the committee for their comments. Uh, Councillor Freeman. Just a point of information, please, Chairman. Uh, who actually owns this Norman's Way? Who is responsible for it? Who is responsible for making good the surface? Okay, um, I can't confirm exactly who owns what because that isn't something that we need to consider when dealing with a planning application. However, I understand um, the, the reason that you need to know this information. It's not an adopted road, so it's not... Uh, maintainable at the public expense by the Highway Authority Essex County Council. So that means that there will be um, those that have a legal obligation to maintain that road, which might commonly be those that take access from it, but I wouldn't be able to confirm to you the exact details of who owns which bits of the road. Councillor Gerard. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, First of all, I, I would like to um, congratulate the applicant on actually coming forward and putting together something that the people need, certainly from my experience of canvassing in Stansted at the last local elections. The vast majority of people do look, are looking for smaller homes and bungalows, so that's great. Uh, I do know that the area well, Norman's Way, 
at, on the doorstep, everyone said the same thing about the potholes and about the problem with it. So that is, I think, personally, I think that is the real only issue here. Um, if I could draw members' attention to Councillor Dean's email that he sent last week round where he himself said that he spoke with um, Mr. Bishop and uh, the issue of the resurfacing was discussed as potentially the issue at hand and Mr. Bishop um, in clear, uh, um, explained that if it was the case he would be prepared to sort that out. Personally I think that this application should be approved subject to the expressed condition that the surface be uh, that the road be resurfaced in both directions by the applicant and I think everyone would be happy. Thank you. I'm going to ask Mr Brown to clarify the legal yeah. situation. I think you need to... First of all, we are talking about a net increase of four dwellings and, uh, and I think members are quite... And I think we saw it this morning and we saw but that, that four in terms of the amount of dwellings down on that road is very, very small in terms of the amount of other traffic that serves it. It would be totally disproportionate for a development of four dwellings to be required to resurface that road. Um, but there's two bits to this. First of all, um, and Luke's picked up the point of we, we, we don't know about the ownership, and to be honest with you, it's no concern of this room in terms of who owns that land. But the bottom line is if Mr Bishop received consent for this, for this development or a developer picked this particular site up, then they would have to gain the access rights down that road. Now that may mean they may have to resurface it in terms of, in terms of as part of that agreement. Having said all that anyway, if this development was accessed for four dwellings with construction traffic, it is almost absolutely certain that the road will be worsened by the construction traffic. And I would envisage that as a result of that, the, the owner would have to resurface the road anyway. But I don't think it is necessary and it would be disproportionate for us to actually put that on as a, as a it, would, it would be a 106 agreement, to be honest with you, if we had done that. And I think it was, we do need to make sure that it complies with the SIL regs and for four dwellings to require the resurfacing of what is a very long road, servicing a lot more than four houses, it would be disproportionate. But having picked that up, I think Mr Bishop has indicated that he's quite, you know, he's quite prepared to do whatever's necessary uh, to put that on. But I think members just have to have faith with parallel processes in, to make that happen. Yeah, sorry, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't saying that he should resurface before the development. I just think that it's, you know, once it's done and it's all been churned up again by, by the vehicles, then if, the, if there is an offer on the table that, that uh, clarifies and sorts it out, I think that's a very good solution. Uh, Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you. Um, I, disagree. I disagree with um, Mr. Brown on this. I think it does have to be the subject of Section 106. It has to be tied to the consent. We have in Saffron Warden in Lyme Avenue 15 dwellings affordable. The road surface is atrocious. It was put there by one of the largest developers in the country, and they've walked away and left it like that. And there are other reasons behind this. Some of the work is unfinished. But unless you make it a Section 106 agreement, in my opinion, uh, people will move heavy machines in and out of there. They'll further damage that road, and they'll drive away, and that will be that. I think that it should definitely be a Section 106 agreement on the finished condition of that highway once the site has been built out. Otherwise, I'm fully in favour of developing this site. Uh, Mr Brown. 
I would argue on that point that if we were going to go down the 106 point, regardless of the merits and the proportionality of it, that would require every person who has an interest on that particular thing to be party to a 106, I would envisage. Yeah, and I would say that would never happen in, a, in, you know, in terms of the amount of people. So I don't think we can secure it by 106, even if we did accept that it was proportionate. Um, so I'm doing a little... Yeah, I just wanted to, to try and distill it into quite simple terms, really. It, the message that we're giving you is, first things first, the maintenance and condition of that road is outside the remit of this planning decision. The second thing is, even if it were, it would be an unreasonable burden to put on the developer to carry out those repairs to what is already an existing problem as well. It would be worsened, of course, with additional vehicles down there. Um, but first things first, it's outside the remit. And second things, it would be a disproportionate, unreasonable burden. And if that condition were to be, or agreement or whatever, were to be challenged uh, at appeal, which could be done, they can appeal against the insertion of a condition, uh, we could face a problem there. So I just want to make it clear that those, those two important points, really. Uh, Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Uh, well, I live in Stansted, not a million miles away from here, uh, and I didn't actually know until today that that footpath down to High Lane existed. I knew about Norman's Way um, because I go down there uh, on occasion. Um, this is not a big developer. It's a man who has a garden who wants to do something for the community, and he wants to put two bedroom units in there uh, and like Mr Wood pointed out, uh, the, the footpath is not good, but you said Mr Wood takes his mobility scooter down there and he's afraid he may fall, which kind of implies that so far he hasn't. So I I'd be, um, wouldn't be too worried about that, although I do believe that if it's a, uh, building regulations, we'll sort that out. Um, and uh, I think uh, Mr Bishop, if he wanted to, could apply to put two big houses in there and may well have got permission, but he hasn't. He wants two bedroom homes for the good of the community. And I think if we get too pedantic about this, and I'm not saying that it's not right about the road, but if we get too pedantic, Mr Bishop may say, okay, I'm not going to do this. Uh, I almost bought a, uh, a house in Stansted that had an unadopted road. And I was told that I could take out an indemnity bond against it. At the time, we were young, we didn't have a lot of money, so we decided against it and we didn't buy it. And I believe that perhaps this, you know, that may be the case here. But I think it would be wrong to throw away a chance like this for the sake of a road that eventually probably will be done. If we refuse it today, uh, this chance may not come up again, and I think that would be a wrong thing to do. But that's just my personal opinion. I don't know if it's been proposed. I think it has. But I'm quite happy to second it on that <coughs> basis. Okay. Um, if anybody else hasn't got anything to say, I'm going to look at Mr Bishop, and I'm going to say that I think with his intentions. I think that by the time this development is put in place, I'm sure that he would repair any potholes and the end quality of the road will be superior to what it is now. And based on that, that is as far as we can go at this stage. Uh, it also may include the resurfacing of the footpath going down past the site. Uh, the first 50 metres are a little bit rougher than everywhere else. That would certainly stop anything overturning. And I'm sure that would be within his power. Can I just 
Sorry, I don't think it would be very fair to put the onus of the, the whole road no, on not. Mr Bishop I'm on not. that bit. No, no, I just I'm wondered not. if we could make that clear. No, I know, but we haven't got a legal mechanism here for putting this in place. No. So I'm looking at Mr Bishop and he's nodding his head to the point whereby I think we have a consensus whereby we're going to come out of this with something a lot better than what we've got to start with. And on that basis... I'm going to carry on, and I have, I have, yes, Elizabeth. If I could assist uh, through the chair, uh, I think the, Mr, the chair's view is, observations are that uh, what he's saying is binding on Mr Bishop in morality rather than in terms of a legal obligation, and I'm sure the gentleman would accept that moral obligation but more importantly as I as Councillor Lothlin said the general mechanism whereby frontages faced with unadopted roads address the problem is by way of an insurance bond and as I understand the position if they get together they can obtain such insurance more cheaply, collectively, than they could obtain it as individuals. <clears throat> Thank you, Elizabeth. Okay. Um, I have a... Have I got a proposer? I have a proposer. Councillor Davey, do I have a seconder? Second. I'm going to take uh, Councillor Lemon as a seconder. Uh, could we go for a vote for approval of this application, please? All those in favour, please show. I have a unanimous decision. That matter is approved. Thank you, Mr Bishop. Uh, we'll continue with UTT 17.1227, a full application for the land east of Newton Villas in Dunmo. And I think Mrs. Denmark is going to take us through the application, I believe. She's going to time herself now. Mrs. Denmark. Thank you very much, Chair. This is an application um, for a site in Great Dunmo. Um, at the um, end of Newton Green, um, adjacent to Newton Villas. Um, the application is before you because it's an Uttersford District Council application for new housing. Um, the site is, the majority of this site here is um, a garage and parking area. Um, most of the garages have subsequently been removed. Uh, when I went out and did my site visit, there was one left um, over here. Um, and it also includes part of the garden to 19 um, Newton Green. You will see that the red outline continues over here, includes um, an area in front of, this is um, Newton Villas, and it includes the area in front of um, these properties here. Um, this is currently grassland. Um, the primary school, if you want to sort of orientate yourself, is um, down here. I think that's the corner of it showing there. Um, the proposal is for um, two flats, two one-bedroom flats, which would be in one building here, and two two-bedroom semi-detached 
dwellings here. There will be six car parking spaces to serve the development. Um, uh, the flats would each have their own private amenity space, as would the garden, um, as would the two bedroom units, and those amenity areas comply with the standards as set out in the Essex Design Guide. Um, now, obviously, the development um, results in the loss of a parking area for existing residents, and there is a lay-by here as well, which will be partially lost. Um, so, included in the layout, but not actually forming part of this application, because the council doesn't require planning permission to do this, they can do it under permitted development, um, is uh, it shows an area here to um, provide 16 extra car parking spaces to provide an improvement on the existing um, situation in the area. But like I say, this doesn't form part of the application. Um, it is works that will be done under permitted development, um, but it's included just so that people can see what the um, future uh, situation will be. So the design of the dwellings will be like this. This is the two flats. This is the two houses. There would be no um, loss of amenity issues. The proposals are supported by the Town Council. Um, there had initially been an objection from the ecologists following further ecology works and surveys. Um, that objection has now been lifted and the application is recommended for approval. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Denmark. Um, we have one speaker, Mr. Mallins. Doug, if you'd like to take the chair. You have three minutes. Thanks, Chair. I'll try not to keep you three minutes. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to go through into design details or anything like that because obviously that's very much covered in, uh, in the planning officer's report. I just wanted to just give a, a couple of uh, to speak about three little points, really, just to give a bit of further background and context to this application. In regards to the status of the land, as is stated in the report, part of the land is the rear garden of number 19, uh, Newton Green, which we have a subject planning um, uh, agreement to purchase off the owner of that property. Um, the other part of the site, though, just to clarify, actually, um, which is the Parson Council ownership, is not, in fact, a parking area. In, per se, it, is, it actually is a leased garage ground rent site whereby um, residents can take a lease to put their own garage up on that site. Um, as the planning officer said, there's only one of those garages left and the lease for that garage has expired and the, uh, the lessee um, of that garage is aware of our proposals. Um, Obviously, there are cars parked in that area, um, predominantly for the flats, which, as you can see, are sort of, if you like, road-locked. Um, and um, whilst it's on an ad hoc basis, it's not specifically a parking area, we're allowing that to go on at this time, but we're obviously proposing to provide them with new parking actually nearer their own properties, which hopefully be an improvement for, on, for them on that. The second point was there is a... Uh, right away agreed in the 1980s to the owner-occupier of uh, two Newton Villas um, and just to confirm that that has never been put into operation by that owner but obviously the right of way still exists and our proposed development actually still allows to maintain that right of way and in fact improves the situation for that owner-occupier. Um, just with regard to the proposed 16 parking spaces for the adjacent flats, which are predominantly owned by um, Acclesford District Council, 
the original public consultation we did for our proposals, the main concern was lack of parking, and the people who have the lack of parking there are those flats, everyone else having their own off-road parking in that location. Um, whilst clearly we could go ahead and do this under permitted development rights, um, we obviously wanted to include it to show members of the, of the committee that that's what we're proposing to do. Um, and I think whilst there have been some concerns of turning an amenity area into a bit of hard standing, if you like, clearly what we, we're looking to do is actually use landscaping to soften the impact of that uh, parking area so it's not such a hard standing area. Um, that's really all I wanted to say at this time, so I'd like to thank the Chair and the Committee for hearing me. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, Mr. Mallins. Um, I did take a drive past this last night, and as you say, it is a green area in the middle of the flats, but um, it's not exactly the most tidy sort of area, so uh, I think we're looking at a substantial improvement. Uh, anyway, I'll throw that open to the floor. Any comments? Councillor Wells? Happy to propose the recommendation. Uh, I have a proposal, and uh, Councillor Davy is a seconder. Um, all those in favour of approval of this application, please show. I have a unanimous. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mr. Mallins. <clears throat> we'll move on to UTT 17 10 11, Jacobs Green, Park Lane, Saffron Warden. Luke Mills is going to take us through the application. Thank you, Chairman. This site is located off Park Lane in Saffron Walden and comprises garden land associated with number 11 Park Lane. The application is for planning permission to erect a detached house and associated garage with access to be provided by an existing shared driveway. The site actually forms one of four housing plots which, which were approved in 1994, the permission remaining live because two units were built. Therefore, the current proposal effectively forms a revised design for a consented dwelling. The proposed house is two storeys in scale and of a similar design to the two houses already built under the 1994 permission. As set out in my report, all, rele all relevant planning policies and material considerations have been considered and it is recommended that planning permission be granted. Thank you, Luke. Um, we have no speakers on this matter, so I'll throw it straight open to the committee. Uh, Councillor Freeman. Yeah, the uh, Town Council has no objections to this, Chairman. We're fully in favour of the application. Is that a recommendation for approval? It is, Chairman, yes. Okay. Uh, Councillor Lodge. Seconded. All those in favour, please show. I have a unanimous decision that that matter is approved. Thank you. <clears throat> We're now coming to UTT 171124, full application at Hayden's End, and Mr Brown is going to take us through this application. Mr Brown. Thank you, Chairman. Um, members may recall this one from two committees back. Um, first of all, before I go on, can I just clarify that the original agenda that went out had the wrong report in it. So the ones that are looking at it electronically have got the right report. 
and you've also got different versions that have been on your, on your desk from the beginning. It's quite fundamental because the original objective proposal was for approval and uh, members took the decision to defer the matter from the committee in July. Um, again, this is no reflection upon the previous report, but what's happened now is we've, I've now looked at the case and taken it in terms of the enforcement history. Just to remind members where we are, um, this is Hayden's End, um, which is in the, the Hellman's Cross part of Great Camfield. Um, members will recall that in July that, that we considered two buildings. We considered the building to the front there, which was the building that looked remarkably like a hairdresser's members re remember, but uh, members de uh, decided to refuse that against officer recommendation because of the appearance of the building. There was no question about the use of the building. The building has author was authorised to be used as an annex and was being used as an annex, but there were some alterations to the building that members were of the view was not acceptable, and uh, so that was refused. Uh, we are taking enforcement action, and an enforcement notice has been drafted on that particular point. We're holding, holding back on that one because of this one, because there was, there was two particular buildings on the site. Uh, just to recall, this is, a, this is the annex building I've just been referring to here. And originally, this was what was approved. We approved a stable build. I've got to get this way right around. This was a stable building here with a storage building in that area there. Two buildings. Uh, what has been built is that's the uh, what has been built is completely different to what was originally approved. Um, the one half of the building is being built lower than the approved building. That's that part there, and one part has been built slightly higher and the two buildings have been joined together with a spiral staircase in between. And uh, the building is not quite complete and it isn't quite cl clearly been fitted out. So it is not the building in any resemblance that was approved in 2014, March 2014. So there is now no planning permission for that building in that location. So we're not necessarily as constrained as we may have been when we were looking at it previously. Hopefully we've got a photograph. That is the building um, that is that has been approved as a stable building and is still being claimed for it to be retained as a stable building. One other part of the history that um, I'm probably now more familiar with than I was before was uh, that in 2016 uh, we refused planning permission to retain this building specifically for ancillary workshop and store. And uh, that was refused under delegated powers uh, because for, for two reasons. First of all, it would extend the residential curtilage of the building out of it, out of the existing curtilage, because it wasn't a stable building may have been appropriate in that location. But secondly, um, we had an objection from the council's conservation officer, who was of the view, because you can't lose sight of the fact that Hayden's End is a listed building. And it was considered that the, the, the erection of this a building the retention of this building for that purpose would have a less than substantial harm upon the dwelling, uh, the listed building, and in that situation there needs to be a public benefit to approve this building, and that wasn't considered the situation. So the application was refused for its retention for use as an ancillary building. We now have an application to retain exactly the same building, but this time back down to stabling. Um, we can't question the intentions of the developer, the person actually doing it, what they intend to be using it for, or however suspicious we may be in terms of moving forward, we have to take it at face value. Having said that, within the submissions for the previous application that was refused in 2016, the applicant in his statement actually said 
that the uses for, for equine use on this site are pretty now limited, and so therefore the late need of a stable was not necessarily required, and therefore that is why they wanted to use it for ancillary buildings. So the fact that we now have an application to retain it as a stable probably is questionable. Having said that, we don't need to worry about that because we have an objection um, previously from the highway authority, from the um, conservation officer. The building itself is an unjustified un un building in the open countryside and having seen it now in the flesh, it has a substantial impact. So that is why you now have a recommendation to refuse planning permission with the appropriate um, enforcement action to demolish it. And so therefore that's why we're waiting for this decision before we serve an enforcement notice on that one. So the application is a recommendation for refusal, Chairman. Thank you, Mr Brown. Um, I have uh, the applicant, Mr Robert Earthy. <coughs> Sorry, Mr Earthy. No, please, no, that doesn't make any difference. You have three minutes, sir. Yes, I'm a bit confused now because I was coming um, to um, justify my amended change. Could you talk into the microphone? Yeah, that's it. No, Thank I'm you. I'm a bit confused now because I've, I've come here to um, justify the amendments I made to this building by putting the link in. I've, I've got no defence. Um, but I'll read what I've got. Uh, apologies for misleading this committee by previously stating these buildings are now wanted for storage due to a change in circumstances. I had no idea this proposal was being put forward to yourselves. These buildings are for equine use. We have had a horse for three years. Chris Easter and Michael Knight, who are members of the Parish Council, can confirm this. They are fully aware that to and to date they have not objected to me burning my sold straw and bedding in the corner of their field, which is adjacent to my land. They frequently wave to my wife when she is riding or in her horse and carriage when passing on the road. I also apologise for the amendments I made during this build, as I did not believe anyone would object to these improvements. Adding windows reduces the need for lighting Moving the outside stairs to the alley in between these buildings reduces the building line of the barn. By linking the roofs puts a canopy over the staircase, protecting it from rain, frost and ice, therefore making it safer for the occupants. By adding side walls to this link creates a porch, increasing insulation to the buildings and preventing heat loss in winter months whilst entering and exiting. On the 21st of the 11th and 16th, I received this letter from Utterford's Council Energy Department. Utterford District Council are working in partnership with Aron Energy Services to offer the residents free or heavily discounted loft or cavity wall insulation, which will help lower your fuel bills. There is also up to 100% funding to help insulate rooms in roofs and attics. We are also offering a free handyman service available to install the following energy efficiency measures, draft proofing and fold-backing radiators, clearing lofts and hot water cylinder jackets. Loft and, cav and cavity wall insulation is one of the easiest and effective methods to improve comfort of your home and reduce fuel bills. You can save an average of up to £360 a year. 
the letter goes on. This letter has nothing to do with me saving £360 per year. It's just, that, that is just my incentive. What this letter is about is saving energy, which is costing the planet Earth. Whilst this letter is directed to homeowners, the principles must apply to any outbuilding requiring lighting, heating and saving energy. Bearing in mind during winter months, my wife and I will be spending hours per day in these outbuildings with heating and lighting on. I believe my amendments fulfil the criteria of this Council's letter to reduce energy being used. For all the above reasons, providing this building is used for equine use only, I ask the committee to approve the retrospective planning. But of course that's not what we're here for, is it? I mean, I was, I was here for... Okay, Mr Earthy. Now, well, we'll discuss what is in front of us and what's been put to us and uh, we'll come to a decision based on that. But thank you very much for your comments. Okay. Thank you. I, yes, I that's go. fine. Thank you. Thank you, you Councillor Freeman. Um, I'm going to just refer back to Mr Brown for a few points of clarification now. On exactly what we have in front of us. We have an application for this building, and I think that's the starting point. We have an application for a building where there is no extant planning permission for anything on this site. There has historically been a building approved on this site, or two buildings on this site, for a stable and for this, but not for a building of this size suitably linked. It is development in the open countryside and it has to be justified and there has to be exceptional reasons why we would approve a dwelling, why we would approve a building in this one. It doesn't matter at this stage what the intention of the owner is to use it for, whether he's going to be used it for a stabling, because that's what's being applied for here, or whether it's going to be used for anything else. It is an additional building in the countryside that in itself is probably possibly not justified. The second issue, and this should not be lost, it is within adjacent to Hayden's End, which is a, which is a Grade 2 listed building, uh, where the Conservation Officer has previously said the retention of this building, um, would, that this building would have less than substantial harm to that dwelling. And there has to be very exceptional circumstances of public interest why we would approve a building where there is that harm. And as far as we're concerned, it is not clear what the building is for. That's not the issue. It's this building would cause harm to the setting of the listed building, harm to the setting of the countryside, and there's no justification for it to be there. And that's, it's as simple as that, really. Thank you, Mr Brown. I just thought it was important that we clarify exactly what's in front of us. Um, right, comments from the floor, please. Anybody? Uh, Councillor Gerard. I also just like a point of clarification. Um, you know, it's, it, I, the, originally were there two buildings on this site that have been joined? I'm, I'm just, just want to, obviously, if, if this is not what it should be and there is going to be potentially a refusal and potentially um, an order to demolish, I mean, it, it should then there not be possibly an order to reinstate as opposed to demolition, possibly? To be honest with you, that's the very thing that's been causing us some angst in terms of how we would approach this. That is what was approved. It was this building here was approved, which is different to that half of the building that's been built, as well as this bit here, 
which is different from the building that's been hired. And as you see, it wasn't, it wasn't connected. That connection has provided as far as staircase, so we've also got loft area. So that is probably accounted for some of the buildings. So that is where we are. The, the fact is, what's been trying to put, and what we're doing on this one here, for instance, is that that building is, is completely legitimate and should be there, but what's been approved in terms of what's been refused is changes to that building. And so that enforcement notice will make sure it's reinstated, and that's basically the removing of some steps and removing of some windows. Um, this one, the building itself, needs, you know, if members agree to refuse this, the building has no planning permission to be there, so there's nothing to reinstate, because the 2014 planning permission doesn't resemble this, only that there was a slight, there's a footprint there and a footprint there, but the building itself is completely different, so the enforcement action would be its demolition, not its reinstatement. I think I know what this question is going to be, Councillor Chambers. I propose refusal, Mr Chairman. Okay. Does that find a seconder? Councillor Hicks. Second, Chairman. Okay. I have a proposer and a seconder for refusal. Chairman, may I just add to, um, and since I didn't say anything, I yes, feel please that do. this um, is a case where we have to assert the right of the uh, Planning Department of Battlesford District Council to um, lay down the rules and to expect our um, constituents in the country to obey them. And uh, this seems to be a flagrant, flagrant attempt to avoid um, following the instructions which the District Council have laid down in the first place. Uh, yes, I'm inclined to agree with you. Okay. Um, can we go to a vote, please? All those in favour of the refusal, please show. Eight and against two, Councillor Freeman and Councillor Gerrard. This item is therefore refused and we'll move on to the final item on the agenda, which is the Chief Officer's report. Yes, that's fine, I know. Yep, we'll hold for just a minute. Yep, yep, no, it's fine. Good, we'll wait for two minutes, that's fine. Like the way Councillor Hicks blames Mr. Davy. <laughs> There's an item relevant to him. We good. We good to go. We're just waiting for him. Okay. Why is he staying in? Why is he staying in?
He'll only be a second. He was getting to his feet when I knocked on the door. Is he um, that slow, is he? There we are. <laughs> I'm just waiting for him to say it. I was waiting for Robert to say it. <coughs> okay. We'd like to now take the Chief Officer's report. Councillor, uh, Mr Brown, sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. I, we have a, a draft protocol of defending planning decisions made contrary to officer recommendation. Hopefully, this has summarised what we've been doing. And it's, I think uh, Mr Pugh's quite rightly, and, and the Chief Executive has picked this up and realised that we do need to sort of document what we actually do rather than um, make it look like we're making it up as we go down. We are not. I mean, I think when we have an appeal against officer recommendation, um, it is a duty of officers. It is a duty of officers to make recommendations, and it's the, the duty of planning committee to make a decision based upon those recommendations. And, uh, and, and it works well. And we do have situations where members refuse applications against officer recommendation. But I think members do need to understand the situation from officers when we make a recommendation, and where we, an officer themselves, might find it very difficult to, to actually defend that, or officers generally. And that's sort of summarised in the three different types of approaches we have. We have written representations, which is the majority of them, um, where, there's a, where there's a refusal against off-recommendation. And what often quite happens there is another planning officer, not the case officer, would pick up that case and work with the, the members. And it, as a rule of thumb, it tends to be the proposal and the seconder, uh, possibly in consultation with the chairman. Uh, we, we, between us, make sure that we, we, we do the work. We can do the planning speak, if you like, around it, but we need to make sure that we capture the reasons why members have refused it. So it's literally working as a team, and it has worked. Hearings work very well as well. In that situation, again, we work very closely between another officer and uh, the two members, possibly in consultation with the chair again, to actually come up with a statement. And quite often then the officer, the designated officer, and we do share these around, seems to sit in the hearing with the two members, who, and between us it's teamwork, but the officer's there specifically for, to, to administer the appeal. But it should be had, in terms of a planning hearing, an informal hearing, we are representing the local planning authority. You know, whatever decisions made in this room, we have a duty as, as planners to make sure that we defend the decisions of this council. The difficulty then becomes on a public inquiry where one of us is sitting, whether it's me or Karen in this particular, we're the two in the room now, sitting in an inquiry, we are representing ourselves and our own professional judgment. And so therefore, if we do not believe in the decision, we cannot defend it and we can be considered as hostile. So in that particular position, we do engage a tend to, if there is not an officer available to do it, it's an imprecise science what we're actually working in here, and I know that's going to come back and bite me in terms of submissions in the, in the future, but it is imprecise science what we're talking here. Um, quite often we do use uh, consultants to actually defend the inquiries, uh, where, where's the inquiry, which is, and it's properly, whatever, you've also got all the necessary support from the legal team and from barristers where they are required in appeals as well. So hopefully this is quite self-explanatory and both myself and, and, and Simon will happily take uh, questions. Councillor Chambers. Mr Chairman, I have read this report or this draft uh, protocol 
Um, it's always been something which uh, I have agreed with because, as I've said earlier, professionals have a, uh, it's their uh, duty to put forward what they consider to be in a professional opinion and it's up to the members here to decide whether, in some cases, we don't agree with them and we go against them. And it is not right that they should have to get up and defend us if we're not prepared to defend ourselves. This is simple language. But, so I, I have very much pleasure in proposing this protocol, Mr Chairman, because we have had it for quite a long time now, and it's only right and proper that we should formalise it. So I would formally propose that, that we do uh, agree to this. Uh, Councillor Freeman, you wish to speak? Yes, most certainly, Chairman. Thank you. Uh, I mean, at first sight, this is a fairly formulaic approach. It's simply putting into words what is practice. And who can complain with somebody putting into words what has been established practice for a long time? But it's also, Chairman, been an established practice for a long time that this council does not always defend uh, appeals made against refusals. There are some that we can all bring a mind to. Uh, and upon reading this more carefully, uh, the first instance to say it was all motherhood and apple pie. I mean, what's the problem with this? You can't complain about motherhood, you can't complain about apple pie. But I would say that it is an officer-centric document. It is an officer-centric protocol that's been written down. Uh, it's not an elected member-centric. And the question we have to ask ourselves, we have to take several steps back. Why do we spend our time, ten members plus substantial officer support, sitting in this chamber for half a day, once a month? Why do we do that? And to me, the reason why we do that is because we live in a thing called a representational democracy. Now, several times I've heard from members of this committee, well, the officers have recommended this and therefore we should approve it. And very often that is a perfectly correct statement. But if that is the reason why we are here, it is simply to provide an apparent veneer of the democratic process over what is basically an officer-centric decision. And that's not the reason why I sit here, uh, uh, Chairman. I sit here because I was elected to sit here. We all sit here because we were elected to sit here. We had to stand on doorsteps for the right to sit here. People died for the right to have a democratic representational democracy. And in fact, it's arguable that <laughs> the principles of parliamentary democracy were established in the church here during the Civil War the debates that took place. So when it comes to democracy, I defend, it very, I, I defend it very jealously. And my concern about the protocol is that it undermines that basic principle because it comes out with all sorts of officer-centric reasons as to why officers cannot lend their wholehearted support to us turning down a recommendation against their own... Uh, turning down their recommendation. That worries me. Now, I've made a few notes, and it's not something to be debated uh, here. We don't have the time, and I don't want to waste other people's time in it. But there are ways that we could make it easier for officers 
basically go against their own recommendations. And the one that I would do is to say it's unreasonable to expect planning officers in this department, after the district council, to go against their own recommendations, simply because these very naughty elected members through the throughout their recommendations. What you then do is you go and find officers from another council to make the case. East Hearts, for example. You bring in officers from outside to do this and you pay them. You do an exchange deal. That, to me, would seem reasonable. It's not reasonable for us to have to either do all the work ourselves simply because we've behaved in the true democratic way. Now, if we can't do that, and in the past I don't feel we have done that, if we can't do that, then we should not have this committee. It shouldn't exist. We should only go on officer recommendations, forget about the veneer or the charade of a democratic process, because it simply won't exist. So, to me, we need to work out ways of making it easier for officers, not necessarily Oxford officers, to support... Uh, a decision of the elected members to go against. At the moment, we don't have that. This document, this protocol, is totally officer-centric. It totally supports the existing procedure. It gives no support at all to members who have dared to go against it. And that's not the reason why I sit in this chamber, Chairman. <clears throat> I'm going to go to Councillor Lachlan to respond, but I would just like to clarify one thing. Uh, the last four times we as a committee have gone against the officers and it's gone to appeal, we've actually proved to be right. So therefore, there is a process that is functioning. There's also a process, that, Chairman, yeah. the Keir appeal, which you will be fully aware of, where Utters District Council refused to support I, I, this own I'm, decision and it was taken at significant expense by individuals uh, and the uh, appeal uh, was overturned. The, the appeal was refused by the applicant that we're talking about the Keir. Yeah. We all know that. Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, when I first saw this, I did feel somewhat in the same way as Councillor Freeman. And I'm not going to sort of stand here like some old grandmother, which uh, I'm beginning to become. But I have been on this committee for 15 years, which I think is probably longer than most of you. Perhaps all of you, I don't know. And I have never ever, and I've done lots of appeals, more than any of you as well I expect, I have never ever come across a case where an officer has not been helpful with a gentleman sitting at the back <laughs> who is Bentfield Road, who are not Bentfield Road, Cambridge Road, who will probably actually vouch for that because we actually did, I think it was five, wasn't it? Uh, that the officers, and I did it with Nigel Brown, against officer advice. And they've always, always been professional if they don't deal with it. And obviously the case officer who is dealing with it cannot defend it. It is us, as democratic and elected uh, representatives, to find a good reason to refuse an application. We can't say, oh, we don't like that. We have to have a planning reason. And if we can't find one, that's our fault. 
That's not the officer's fault. And they will then, if they can't help us, they will then, and it says so in this report, they will give us another officer, which has always been the case, and who have always defended them vigorously, or they will go to an outside consultant and do exactly the same. And I think it's actually quite an insult to our officers to say that they wouldn't do that. And I know if I was sitting there, I'd probably be very angry. I think you know me well enough to know that I'm quite outspoken and I, and I do feel I'm sorry councillor I haven't finished I do feel that you have actually insulted our officers by what you said today there has never ever and I don't know if you've come across one and if you have you have the ombudsman the same as anyone else but I do not believe I've ever known an occasion where our officers have not helped us in any uh, application we've done I've seen Maria totter along in her high heel shoes to help me at an appeal uh, and a muddy site. So uh, I really feel that that needs to be retracted. And I'm very happy. Uh, I think that um, Robert of Council Chambers has actually proposed this. I'm very happy to second it. If I thought it was wrong and I thought it wasn't democratic and it was against elected members, believe me, I'd be shouting from the rooftops and I'd be tearing this up in front of the officers. But that is not the case. If you can't find a good enough reason to support an appeal, then you shouldn't have refused it in the first place. I'm sorry. I'll just let Mr Brown have his say and then I'll I'm come back. I'm just going to defend Councillor Freeman for a second. Now, you didn't expect that response slightly. I do think some of the things he said was pretty unfair, but he has referred to two cases. There was two very, very high profile cases in terms of the Keir appeal and in terms of the Fairfield appeal where officers advised you that we couldn't appeal it and both of those were won and that was absolutely fundamental and some officers at the top of the table here will agree with you in terms of that stance, to be absolutely frank. That was two, three years ago uh, in a different environment, in, in a different committee in terms of how it's working. Since then, um, yourself, myself and Councillor Lachlan have been in an appeal, in a hearing, and have, and have won that particular appeal twice. And Maria was the case officer in that particular case, was nowhere near the hearing, but I fronted it. And we, we probably gave them a slight whipping in terms of how we operated. Similarly, we had an appeal in Henham, where Karen was involved in a hearing, uh, with the two members involved in it. Um, it was teamwork. It's not a case of who does what. It's the whole of us between us work it. We've had written reps whereby one of the cases today, Karen did the, the brunt of the... And that's what she's paid for. She, she, did, she, well, she did it in consultation with you. And there are some elements whereby we don't get it why it's been refused. And that's not criticising your decision. It's we just don't get it. And therefore we need your help. I must admit, there's very few of those in terms of decisions made by this committee that we actually don't understand. Those are the ones that go to a hearing and there has been some concerns from some members where there is an informal hearing and you have a solicitor on the other side. We don't need to worry about that um, in terms of we confront that professionally in terms of an informal hearing and we tend to win them. We've got a role and in terms of where you've got a public inquiry, um, we then engage and it tends to be Alison Hutchinson unless she's between the agent and we've got the full power of the, of the council to actually involved in that. And I should also add, even where cases 
we have not had costs awarded against us. Now that is down to the, both the, the way in which we managed it within this committee as well as the way that we managed the appeal. And so therefore it is teamwork and all this is putting together and I don't think we need to be concentrating on this officers versus members. That might have been the situation three or four years ago but I don't think that's the situation now and I think you just need to... And I do accept the criticism that we may have had on those two particular appeals. If I may, Chairman. Uh, um, yeah, you may, but what I would say just before you speak is that no sort of system is absolutely perfect. I am very aware of that, Chairman. I have Thank served you. as a councillor for the best part of 20 years. I understand very well the limitations put before us. But um, Councillor Lachlan's outburst uh, is simply a distraction from my point. My point is not to criticise officers. Uh, they work hard, they do their very best certainly isn't to criticise any individual officer, and if that's the impression given, it is wrong, and I refute that completely. I want that as a matter of record. Um, but what we need is a mechanism which allows this committee, the members, to exercise their democratic powers uh, and not limit them. Uh, and I'm very aware that officers are, may often feel compromised um, or conflicted in being asked to um, come to the assistance of something which they may not feel wholeheartedly in favour of. And so what I would like to see, and this is the gist of my suggestion here, I think it's a reasonable suggestion, I think rather than have an outburst about it, you should actually consider it on its merits, that we find a way, an economical way, financially economical way, of getting other officers to come forward and give uh, an opinion and to assist us in these cases. That doesn't happen at the moment. It has to be somebody else in the same department. I understand that that brings conflict uh, 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 and it's, it's not an easy thing to do. I would like to ameliorate that. The alternative is to go off and pay a planning specialist, which is always a very expensive thing. It does work. Developers do it all the time. It's part of their business model. But it's not what we do, and nor should we do necessarily. I think we should be able to bring in officers from another authority to actually assist us in this. That would seem to me a very healthy thing. It's like bringing in somebody from another education authority. I don't see why we shouldn't do it. That was my drive. It was not, as it has been spun, uh, an attempt to attack our officers. It's simply to say that it's very much easier for everybody if the support comes from outside of this council if we have to defend an appeal. Councillor Chambers. Can I just round this up or sum it up, if I may, Mr Chairman? That would be very gracious of you. Um, I have read this very carefully. Do you wish to speak, Councillor Lodge? No, after you. No, no, after you, because I've just said I'm going to sum up. If you wish to speak, and, and the chair... John? Yes, because I'm, I'm going back over, over some ground. I've had very little experience of this, I think... Um, John and I, uh, so Councillor Davy and I um, um, were together in, in turning down one, one application. And just to say, um, Karen helped us out here and did, did, did a great job. So I have, have no, no problem whatsoever with it and any individual officers doing that. Um, I would say, however, though, that if, if, if the three of us had been there in that particular case and had not, I believe it's in terms of Rule 6, um, participant being there, uh, the Hen and Parish Councillor who had briefed a top class barrier and team, uh, I think we might have lost. 
And that's, that's the problem that, um, that I have. I've, I've got a, a, a lot of things I would say. Councillor Freeman has covered a, a lot of them, and I won't, I won't go over it. The problem that I, that I have is that a decision on where to go for outside support is taken by officers of this council, and I think that is wrong. Fundamentally, if this, if this committee has made a decision to, to, um, to, to oppose an application against officers' recommendation, I feel that it should be a democratic decision is then taken on whether to employ, as Councillor Freeman says, an outside planning authority, whether to employ a lawyer, whether to employ another planning consultant, whether to bring a barrister. That is not a job. This is a, a major democratic point. It is not a job for an officer to make that decision. It is for the council to make the decision and there, there are options. It could come back to this committee then for that decision to be made. You may say that it goes to cabinet or full council. But for officers to make that decision, I think it's fundamentally wrong. And I, I, I would like to see us turn this down for further consideration as to how the process could be handled democratically. Appearing to be rude, that shows a complete naivety in terms of the appeal process. We have an appeal state. We have a starting date for an appeal. We have to respond with a questionnaire within, what is it? Five days. Five days. We have to respond with a statement within days. We could receive an appeal tomorrow on an appeal. I must be honest about it. We're talking as if this happens all the time, and it doesn't. But we, we could have received an appeal tomorrow. One could have appeared while we've been sitting here now, whereby we need to work out how we're going to engage in an appeal. And we would have to make that decision within the next couple of weeks. We will not have time to take this. And I should also add, it is officers' role to ensure how we defend an appeal. And that has been successful. It has been absolutely successful. If we do have a position where an officer, a particular officer, is not comfortable with dealing with it, and I must admit, we haven't had that issue. We have had appeal officers have that decision where an officer actually look, picks, up and picks up a hearing and actually says, oh, you know what, I really don't know why we recommended this for approval in the first place. Members were quite right in refusing it, in my professional opinion. Bring it on. And, you know, that may have been, and sometimes that is how it works out. So I think you're really sort of probably over-egging how uncomfortable some officers are. But I agree with Councillor Freeman. If we are in a position where all officers are turning around, and this has happened too, where officers are turned around and says, actually, I'm not very comfortable. Any of us are very uncomfortable how we can do that. I would actually say, if you had refused Bartholomew Close earlier on, none of my officers would have been able to defend that decision because we don't know where we're going. And we may have had to try to engage somebody else. And we would have done that in consultation with the ones that were involved in whatever decision, you know, Councillor Chambers was actually proposing that, and if members had refused that particular application, we would be contacting Councillor Chambers and the, and the seconder to actually say, we've got a problem here, Robert, you don't know how we're going to challenge this, what we're going to do, we may get someone else in turn. So on a case-by-case -case basis, but having said that, that wasn't refused. Members made a decision. 
you are quite right that every appeal, that every decision you make we need to defend, but you need to leave it to officers because it has worked up to now, apart from two maybe high-profile cases. Now it has. Uh, it has worked in terms of appeals have, been, appeals have been allowed, appeals have been dismissed, and actually the record of, allowing, of, of appeals being dismissed against officer recommendation has been quite healthy here. To be honest, it's not, I wouldn't encourage it all the time, but it is something whereby we have been able to defend it. I must come back on naivety. <laughs> rarely, rarely accused of it. Um, um, I think that a, a, a way has, has to be found. Uh, it is I believe it is absolutely not officers. Uh, we, we, we're going to disagree fundamentally here. It's part of the democratic process that elected members make that decision. Now, if, for example, there is such some, some amazing um, urgency on a, on a problem, then it goes to, uh, it goes to, the, to the leader, shall we say, or, or a, a, an emergency cabinet meeting. But I, I do feel strongly that members should make those decisions as to how it is to be represented, or they have to be comfortable with it. And I've certainly been uncomfortable with it. Uh, so I, I, I would urge the, um, uh, the committee here to, 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 to take a, a further look at this so that the proper democratic process can be followed in determining how we defend the appeals. Councillor Hicks first. Thank you, Chairman. Um, <coughs> it seems to me that um, the arguments that have been put forward in the last few minutes um, totally specious in the, in the sense that um, where we start from is that government starts with the planning powers. This authority is only a planning authority by virtue of the delegated authority from government which has been passed down for us to administer. And we administer it within the bounds of what the government describes as planning law and its planning law which governs, governs all decisions of this committee. We have to, uh, we say it over and over again, and we, our officers tell us, you've got to find a good planning reason for not following a certain procedure. We work within those bounds. It, irrespective of whether Councillor Freeman thinks it's undemocratic, we are elected members of the district council and the district council, its leader, its cabinet, in their wisdom have put us in place um, as the um, persons, the members, elected members who are to make that decision within the bounds of planning law and to suggest that we suddenly delegate powers to somebody else, to an officers from another area, disregarding the, um, the systems and the procedures and the protocols that have been built up over many years in which govern our activities, it is, it's to, to my mind, is just total nonsense. We, um, I, I can see why... Um, uh, uh, friends on my left say why, what they do, they don't like certain decisions and they'd like to be able to, they say a lot of um, members of the public object. Many of the decisions that we have to take, members of the public in those areas that those decisions affect have objections. But you, we, 
as members of the planning committee, we can't pay regard, as Councillor Freeman probably wants, to whatever the, uh, the residents of that particular area happen to feel and say about it. We, we have to make our decisions based on what seems to us in our uh, wisdom um, seems to be the right decision for the for Uttlesford as, as, a, as a district and so um, I, I really do not understand why um, uh, uh, Councillor Lodge and Councillor Freeman feel that uh, um, we, are, we are not capable of coming to these decisions without having recourse to some further court of um, uh, decision-making outside of our purview. I wanted to explain to Councillor Hicks then the logic behind that, and the logic is that we do want to make the decisions. If, if we want to defend a particular decision in a particular way, I want this council to make that decision, not on elected officers. That's democracy. And also, sorry, Chairman, but it's important that we refute that point because it's another attempt to deflect what I believe was uh, the, the, the real argument. The, the point is that officers recommend, members decide. That's the way of it. Officers recommend, members decide. Now, I want to give members the maximum power to actually implement a decision. Now, at the moment, we... Uh, I don't see we necessarily have that because you have to go back to the officers to say, well, we need you to manage this defence for us. Now, that, I find, puts officers into a difficult position, and I respect that. And my suggestion, which has been distorted, so I, want to, I have to correct it, my suggestion is if we want to do that on an economical basis, then rather than using an officer from here, we could use an officer from someplace else. That is standard civil service practice. Nothing at all wrong with that. Uh, it was simply a suggestion. It doesn't have to be imp implemented. All the other options are more expensive, but that's fine. Hey, we've got the money to do that if we want to. But it's very important to maintain the principle that officers recommend and members decide. That is what I want to retain. Uh, I'm gonna, no, I'm, I'm, let me, Councillor Lachlan first, please. Thank you. I've, I've lost the plot now. Um, I think I can see your point. But if we go to another authority, they're not going to do it for nothing. We'll have to pay them. And whose money are we going to be using? We'll be using taxpayers' money. We haven't asked them if we mind them spending their money in that way on an appeal, say, that might be in my patch, uh, you know, which is only a sm small villages. They may not like that at all. Uh, so I don't know. We'd have to go out to consultation. I think you just can't spend taxpayers' money willy-nilly because you don't like something. And uh, you know, uh, George Bernard Shaw actually said, if you listen to too much of other people's advice, you end up making other people's mistakes. And I actually believe that. I think this system has worked very well. It may not be the best, but as uh, Councillor Hicks said, we're actually working under a system that we really don't. Have have any control about because it's a government system you know if you 
break the rules of probity, it isn't just standards board, it's law. You can be taken to court. So if you all have a little conflab or something, uh, how something's going to be decided uh, and it's discovered, you will be taken to court. And that is why this committee says, as a quasi-judicial body, in the same way as licensing, who replaced the magistrates, and that we have to be aware of that. So everything we do is open to scrutiny and is open to law. And we can, there is no way that we can change it. It may not be good, it may not be the best, but it works so far. We actually had, as you will remember, uh, and I've I wasn't going to quote individuals, but I will quote this case because it was one that the planning um, uh, committee was involved in, and that was called Fairfield at Elsinham. Now, the committee refused that against officer advice, and then it came back in almost the same format, and we refused it again. And it was then taken away from the planning committee, and it was given to full council, who actually have no planning training. And I can remember the chief executive at the time turned around and said, just because they're the planning committee, they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. It went to two barristers who also said that it would fail. But it didn't. It went to the Secretary of State who supported the planning committee and it was dismissed. Um, and it was a great moment, I can tell you. And all those uh, planning members who were no longer planning members because we'd had an election and a lot of them lost their seats, as you know, it was a good moment for those members too. So it does happen. This committee is, is well trained. It knows what it's, do it's doing. And I do believe that the officers... Uh, recognize that. They don't think we're daft or anything like that. We have policies that we have to adhere to. So if we refuse something, we have to give the officers a good reason, whether it be S7, Gem 1. We just can't say, I don't like this because the planning inspector will throw it out. And I, there is no other system that we can use. So I think we have to work within that. And I'm sorry if you think I, <coughs> excuse me, if I I'm going to have to drop a water here. I'm getting stressed. I may have another blooming heart attack. Uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I think that the system is good. I think this planning committee is apolitical. I think it's an excellent committee. I think all of us, and that includes you lot there, you lot over there, and us lot up here, I think we do a bloody good job. And, uh, you know, and I don't want anyone else to come in and interfere with what happens now. I think our officers are good. We don't agree with them. And that is why we can refuse and we can go to appeal. And and I think, having said that, I'm, I'm I'll have a gin. I'm, <laughs> I've got lots of hands in the air, but I don't really want to cause an open debate here. Uh, John Davy, Councillor Davy, sorry, go on. <laughs> Microphone. We've had a proposal. Uh, if everybody's happy with that, I will second it. Happy. <laughs> I, I think, I, I think I'm going I'm to finish this off by just saying I think this is a case of baby in the bathwater yeah. a little bit. Yeah. All right? And, and I, I, I completely take your point, but I'm not sure there's a, anything necessarily fundamentally wrong with where we are. Uh, it's not perfect, but I think we get where we want to get. And on that point, I've got a proposer and I've got a seconder. 
So I'm going to take it to the vote. All those in favour of adopting this proposal, please show. Okay, I have seven and I have three. And on that note, I will close today's proceedings because I'm aware Mr Lodge has opera tickets.